as we head into um, uh, this week, it's Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. I wanted to read something to you as we prepare for a week of contemplation leading up to the resurrection. Good Friday, of course, and then, uh, and then two services on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. But to celebrate the resurrection, we have to start today. And we start today with Jesus entering into Jerusalem triumphantly, being proclaimed the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. He is the Lord. He is the King. He is the one expected to come to bring deliverance for the people. And then, of course, he goes into a a period of time of called the Passion Week of waiting. Passion not only means suffering, but it also means waiting. Waiting for the Lord to do something. And during the suffering of, of the, the, the betrayal, um, the trials, uh, the beatings, um, the crown of thorns, having to walk shame in this walk of shame, so to speak, to a cross, to a place where he would be crucified, died, buried, um, there is a lot of suffering. But it always leads, it does lead to something good. And so we prepare today in Palm Sunday for a week of thinking about suffering. We're going to talk about that this morning as well. Let me read something to you as we just prepare, and then I've asked um, Eric Krog to play a song that I think beautifully depicts the message out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. But as we head into Palm Sunday, we prepare ourselves for this next week. It is right to praise you, O Lord, Almighty God, for the acts of love by which you have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. On this day, he entered the holy city of Jerusalem, Matthew chapter 21, in triumph and was proclaimed King of Kings by those who spread their garments and branches of palms along his way. Let these branches be for us signs of his victory and grant that we also we who bear them in his name may ever hail him as king and follow him in the way that leads to eternal life, who lives and reigns in glory with you, the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. We know in Matthew chapter 21, we understand that this is the day in which as he entered into the city, into Jerusalem, that they spread their coats and the branches from the trees and he walked on a colt on a donkey and as he was being led on this animal, it says, they proclaimed, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, Hosanna in the highest. Great praise, great moment of expectation for God to do something great and he does. It's through suffering that something happens, the resurrection. And that builds us, that will lead us right up to this great victory. And so this week is a week of thinking, of thinking on persecution, on thinking of suffering, on thinking of difficulty, and also on thinking of the time that we experience waiting. I mean, that's a long time to wait for what you know is coming. And Jesus experienced that pain. He experienced the emotion Every day, waking up, going back to sleep, waking up, knowing what was to come. And um, we know that uh, in the end, it led to the resurrection. And that's our living hope. We've, we've decided to um, 
preempt Resurrection Sunday with a series of messages that lead us to the resurrection, that get us thinking about the resurrection and why it's so significant. And the reason why it's significant is because of the living hope that it brings. And you and I need a living hope. The world needs a living hope today. A living hope, not a wishful hope, but a living hope that is anchored on something that is secure. It's like what we talked about last week out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. Let me, let me just read it and refresh your memory. That is, Peter is writing to the churches. He's describing a hope that they need as an anchor for their faith. That every single one of us needs an anchor to our faith. We need, we need, something needs to be secure. What is the one thing that is most secure in your life? The one thing that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that one thing will never be taken away from you. It is, it is this living hope that is resting on an anchor, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's what Peter says. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again, transformed, renewed, Think about that idea of John 3, of Nicodemus being renewed. Jesus, he asked, how do I inherit eternal life? What do I do? Be born again. Well, how, do you, how are you born again? Your life changes its entire focus and purpose because of this one thing. That's what born again means. It's a refocusing, a re-imaging, a restructuring of your whole life around one thing. And so here it is, born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Even though it is necessary, you may have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, the proof of your faith is more precious than the most valuable resource on the earth. Gold. The most precious thing is the proving of your faith, the, the sifting of your faith, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor of the Lord, of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this we believe and we greatly rejoice. We rejoice with it. What it says is joy inexpressible, full of glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we find three things. A living hope is something that can't be taken away from you. It comes through suffering, and it produces joy. And we want to look at suffering and joy this morning. We covered this idea of an inheritance and what an inheritance is and how much we need that inheritance. We have to have that. It's, it's, it's deposit in the bank. We talked about that last week. Today, we're going to talk about why suffering is part of our living hope and how it produces joy. Because ultimately, 
Those are the questions we ask in life. What is the purpose of suffering and how do we experience true happiness? I mean, that, every single person is asking those questions and it's right here in our text. Before we get into this, I asked Eric Krogh to come. Eric has been part of our worship team literally almost since the beginning of time, right? I mean, back to Jeff Nelson and Brad Owens and many worship leaders. He's like the Billy Graham of our worship team. He just keeps out surviving everybody else. And Eric, you have served with us. You have played the bass and you have brought your just competency and your love for music and worship to our church for many, many years, going all the way back to Ridgecrest. And you wrote a song. And I wanted you to share just briefly why you wrote this song. What was the context for it and what this song is about and what it means to you? And then I, we want to hear it. We want to hear this song as we begin to think and process the idea of how suffering leads to joy. How does it? I think your song explains. Thank you, Eric. <clears throat> Well, thanks so much, Todd. Um, gosh, um, the Lord works in mysterious ways, yeah. doesn't he? Uh, you know, last week I was just talking to Todd about uh, this week, what he was going to talk about. And, uh, and I said, you know, I wrote a song that was kind of similar to what you're talking about next week. Uh, and he says, okay, we'll play it. And uh, so um, I gladly came. Um, this song was written about 10 years ago. And uh, there was a, a much-loved member of our community here at the river that uh, took his own life. And uh, I was part of the, the worship team at the memorial service. And uh, so I came home and reflected on what had happened and, you know, what my thoughts were and wrote this song. Um, and uh, it's really about hope. Uh, it's getting on to the other side of suffering, as Todd was talking about. Uh, I'd like you to just uh, tune into the words at the bridge. I'll just read them to you really quickly. We all have days when we think we can't go on, but we must learn to, th to see there's joy on the other side of suffering. Remember and be set free. And so here's a song called Blue Skies. the sunlight touch the breeze now we're past our tragedies we'll let go of worry got no need to hurry this is the day that we will seize write our daily grateful list Happy that we still exist Know that there's a reason In this hopeful season Count the many ways we're blessed Blue skies we're heading for Blue skies Watch those dark clouds slip away skies today Stop to help a friend in need When we give we all succeed Open hearts we're willing Inner needs fulfilling Making change in word and deed 
skies we're heading for blue skies watch those dark clouds slip away blue skies today we all have days when we think we can't go on but we must learn to see there's joy on the other side of suffering remember and be set free now our friends are gathered round eyes raised skyward not a sound spending time we cherish Hope will never perish Spirits soar while feet touch ground Blue skies we're heading for Blue skies Watch those dark clouds slip away Blue skies today What I think is profound is the way he wrote that song and the idea that the blue skies are coming, they're not here yet, we're in gray clouds, and the blue sky is when Jesus comes and appears again. And when Jesus comes and appears again, that's the hope that we have that is now being brought back into the present. So it's a future hope that we live in now, that's why it's called a living hope. See, where I get that from is not only 1 Peter, but also just a couple um, chapters away in 1 John chapter 3, where John says, beloved, we are now children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. So we're not yet there. But we live as though we know it's, we're going to get there. And then he says, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know what when we know that when he appears, his second coming, his return, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, we actually live out that hope in this process of purifying our faith by realizing that one day Jesus will come back. You know, we don't really talk about that anymore, do we? When I was in high school, I used to go to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and Chuck Smith and all the pastors down there, remember those days? Jesus was coming back. I honestly, in high school, did not think I would ever get married or have children. I was convinced Jesus was coming back when I was in high school. I mean, I lived that way, and I lived with an expectation, and guess what it did? It, it caused this wild, radical, adventurous thing to live within me. And I just knew it was going to happen. I was convinced. And every day I had this imminent, a sense of imminence. It's going to happen any second. It's going to happen any day. Jesus is coming back. And because of that, I live with this great hope. And I sense this great adventure in me. 
and I was willing to take these crazy risks, sharing, people, sharing faith with people and, and living out my faith and living a, a value system that Jesus established for us. And I knew that. And it was, it, it was all hinged on the fact that Jesus was coming back. And we've lost that in our generation. We've lost that sense that Jesus is coming back and we should be living as though it's within our lifetime. Re-energizing our hope and our faith by re the reality of the future hope that Jesus is coming back and when he comes back, he's gonna restore all things and blue skies are coming and he's gonna wash away the gray, the gray clouds. He's gonna push them away and will make sense of even the greatest tragedy, tragedy, which Eric was talking about in his song. And that's the hope. I mean, very theological, very biblical. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And that's why our hope is hinged on the resurrection because of three things. Number one, it will never be taken away from you. We talked about that last week. It's, and, and by the way, we, are, we need this kind of hope today, don't we? We radically need this hope. You wake up every day and we are literally shocked by the news. The diversity, the hatred, the bipartisan mentality that we have in this country, the, the, um, the, the tragedies. I'm thinking um, of Nashville and the six families that will be forever, and you can multiply that over all of the shootings and all the tragedies all around the world. And I was thinking of my own family. My son came down and his wife and daughter, and we all got together. That son, wife, son, his wife, and their son. I don't know what's going on there, but anyway, I think I got it together. Um, yes, that's true. And, and so we sat, and my grandmother was a writer. And, and just a quick story she had literally written all about my, uh, her life and her life with my father's father and told the story of the origin of this family coming from Prussia, which is modern-day uh, Poland, in 1847 as a 17-year-old, Ferdinand Windorf, who then comes to America as a 17-year-old. He's recruited into the Northern Army for the, con for the Civil War. Get, he's a drummer, gets shot in the leg, and captured by the South and is now in a, in, a, in a camp and he's held prisoner and lives basically on cornmeal. Most of the prisoners die of starvation. He somehow survives, gets out, gets married. His wife dies during childbirth, remarries, and will have five wives. I mean, this is a story of my great-great-grandfather, my grandfather's great-grandfather. And he survives all these things to have my grandfather's father, who is now August Windorf, who has my grandfather, August Windorf, who has my father, who has me. And if his life was not spared, I would not be here. And you think of the implications, and it changes your perspective on why we need a hope and where our hope really lies, because it doesn't lie in this world. It lies somewhere else. It lies in a future that Christ will restore all things and make all things right. And so first of all, we have this inheritance. And this inheritance is something that's in the bank that you can spend 
We talked about that. It's, it's literally a deposit in the bank that nobody can take away from you. And guess what? It's, it's stored up. At, for You're going to get it in heaven, but you get to live on it now, and you get to invest it, which means you get opportunities to invest what God has given you, spiritually speaking. Let me give you a quick example of that. It's my grandson, four years old. There's a kid in their class, and there's been some challenges, and it hasn't been easy. And it would be very easy for my grandson to react to this other kid and uh, isolate from this other kid because of his behavior and the family. And yet um, his mom decided, let's just love him and include him and watch what happens. This kid has been folded into this group by love. When you risk the investment that God has given you, and you pour it out, and you watch what God will do. That's the kind of hope you have. You get to go live that hope out every day by doing those kinds of things. Where there is hatred, there can be love. The second thing we learn in this passage is it comes through suffering. And it's through suffering. The two things that I want you to see in this passage is, number one, it's inevitable, but it also has a good, it has a good outcome. It has a good potential outcome. See, what Peter says is you're born again to this living hope and you have this inheritance. You can spend it. It's a hope that you can live by because it's, it's money in the bank. But second of all, it comes through suffering. Notice, distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, what Peter is saying is that it's inevitable. Right now, you will be distressed by various trials. In, 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 in fact, in chapter 4, verse 12, he says these words. He says, beloved, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by the fire or ordeal among you, which comes upon uh, you for, the, for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. They go hand in hand. Can't get one without the other. Suffering is the process. Don't be surprised. It's inevitable. Dr. Um, Paul Brandt was a British um, a surgeon, a doctor, and he um, worked in India, but he also worked in America. And when he worked on American patients, he said this. He said, um, American patients are trans, uh, 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 traumatized, I should say, by suffering. That was his observation. They live at the greatest comfort level in all the world, but are less equipped to deal with suffering and far more traumatized by it. I know why, but I don't have time to go into it. you got to really dig into this. Carl Truman wrote a book that's really worth reading called Rise and Triumph of the Mind. And he talks about uh, what's happened in society and how we've become fragile. And how we've isolated ourselves from the value of suffering and what it does to us as individuals and as a country, a nation, as a world. But uh, the problem with it is that we have, um, we've tried to live by our feelings. We've, tried, we've emotionalized everything. 
as opposed to recognize the reality of life and work through it. Um, it's said that two-thirds of suffering is the shock of it. Um, someone once said that 10% uh, is what happens to you and 90% is how you respond to it. It's inevitable. Miriam Greenspan wrote a book. She's a psychotherapist. She wrote a book called Healing Through the Dark Emotions. And she's talking about how we heal in the context of our darkest emotions. And she said, she was talking about depression, though I don't agree with all that she says, but, uh, and we've talked about depression and some of the, um, some of the, the causes of it. Um, she does talk about one of the factors that she sees in the most common depression is the result of low tolerance for sadness. And it's, it's really got me thinking just about what suffering is all about and what Peter's truly trying to drive at in order to get to something far more valuable. And so he goes on to say it has a good potential. And the reason why it has a good potential, it says that we will go through a furnace-like experience. Our, our, our trials are like a furnace so that the proof of your faith, more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, he's referring to a furnace. And what we understand about gold is that gold is gold. You can't change gold. You can, liquefy, you can liquefy it, but in the liquefying, you can reshape it, but you can't destroy it. You can't kindle it. It's, it's impossible. What you can do is purify it by taking out the dross. And what Peter is saying is that every single one of us wants a pure gold faith. But we can't get a pure gold faith until we eliminate the things that are in our life that are impure. And all the, the false hopes that we have put in place and put our faith and confidence in the real hope. But only through a, a furnace can that actually happen. And so that's what Peter's talking about is this true gold hope which we get by eliminating the false hope. The dross has to be separated from the pure gold and it's liquefied and then it's then it's cooled and it becomes pure again and it becomes, or pure, it becomes solid again. It's pure gold. It's just now eliminated from all of the dross. And so the question would be then in this text is what are those things? What are those impurities in our life? What are those impure ways in which we have set up false hopes in our life? I wrote several of them. One is our health. We, we, we love good health, and we should. I was with, a, on Saturday, a swimming buddy um, that I've known for many, many years. Actually, my very first year, over 10 years ago, or 12 years ago, however long it's been since I've been on the swim team, I remember I swam in his lane. And he was the one who kind of got me going. And um, he just went through cancer. And he will be two years cancer-free coming up here. And we were talking about it at coffee you know, this whole long table of swimmers, and we just had this little small dialogue, and we were talking, but yet there have been certain um, aspects of his life that are going to have to change as a result of that. It's not easy, but yet he's thankful. He's thankful to be swimming. He's thankful to be able to continue on in life, and it was a great opportunity just to talk about the value of going through something like that to bring a richer truer um, thankfulness of life. Um, I'm thinking not only of our health, but I'm also thinking of like 
what we rely upon oftentimes is a retirement, something for the future. I remember this missionary couple that went away and came back and, and uh, through poor money management, their, their life savings was gone. Here they are, serving the Lord. They come back, it's gone. How do you deal with things like that? Do we put our confidence and hope in things like that? I, I was talking, I was thinking of my family and how valuable and important family is. And I have a very dear friend who I've known since junior high school, my best friend in junior high. He went off and married and, and um, marriage struggles and his wife encouraged him to come to church. He comes to Christ and, um, and then his wife leaves and then he gets cancer. And then as both of his parents are lost in a tragic car accident. All these things happen in his life. And the very thing he wanted was his family that he was living for. Good thing. It's a very good thing. But when it gets ripped out away from us, what happens? I thought of three individuals, a job, a career. I thought of three individuals that I personally have worked for that all three went through a complete crisis of faith because of impurities, the dross in their lives. And what does God want to do? He doesn't want to set them aside. He wants to refine them. He wants to refine every single one of us. He's in a process of kindly processing us and allowing us to go through this. And this is the kind of hope that we can bring into this world and people like that that go through these kinds of struggles and difficulties, because we know that in the process of that, something good is happening. Either you end up saying God is not enough, or you end up saying God is all I want. You become like Jacob, and Jacob's is a beautiful story in Genesis. Jacob becomes the father of the nations. His name is changed to Israel. All the rest of the story of Israel is hinged on this one man, and he starts out in his life as a deceiver. And he deceives his brother for the birthright, and he runs away, and he finally has to come to terms with it and reconcile with his brother. But before he does, he meets the Lord at the Jabbok River, and there he has this wrestling match, and what happens? Boom, God hits him. Literally, his, his hip comes out of the socket, and that's got to hurt. And it's going to obviously leave a limp, right? He's going to walk with a limp the rest of his life. But he grabs on after this, he grabs on to the Lord, the angel of the Lord, and he says to him, I will not let go until you bless me. He finally gets it. You're all I have. You're all I need. Everything is in you. And he comes to that place. God blesses him and gives him the true name that he was supposed to be given, which is Israel, the nation. He is the father of many. Um, that's what happens in the process of going through this suffering. But let me say this. It will produce true joy, but it doesn't come without a cost. In verse 6 of our passage, it says that you will be distressed by various trials. The word distressed, lupeo, literally means not the suffering, but the mental effect of suffering. So it's the mental anguish that you experience. When you suffer, you experience something very deep. And you experience it and you cry out, like John 11, verse 31, the shortest verse, right, in the New Testament. What does it say? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And he wept for his friend that had just died. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus will 
Literally, it says, sweat, what? Blood. That physiologically, something happened within him that broke the blood vessels that caused the blood to come through his body, and he sweat them out because of the deep grief that he was going through, knowing he was going to the cross for all of humanity. And I've thought about that a lot in terms of understanding the, 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 the weight of putting all of the impurities of all people for all time, for all of history, on one man. Could you imagine Jesus thinking of not just my impurities, my sin, my failures, but the world's everything on himself, and he took that to the cross. And so what we discover is that there is, a, 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 there, there is an emotional response in this that's very mature. It's living emotionally healthy, of experiencing true grief. And what happens in that experience of crying, of weeping, what happens is we realize in the midst of that something that Viktor Frankl said in his book, In the Search, Life Search for Meaning, when he went through two and a half years of a um, concentration camp in um, Dachau, uh, Germany. When he went through that and experienced tragedy and experienced hardship and suffering, he said these words. He describes this grim sense of humor. And that caught my eye. Like, what is this grim sense of humor? What's he mean by that? How could there be any humor in all of this sadness? The content and happy inspires everything in his life. How content we were, happy in spite of everything, he would write. Not a happy isn't happy in the moment because I got something I wanted, but a transformational joy because I realized that I have everything I need in something else. And so ultimately what it comes down to, hope comes down to understanding it's not about us. The hardest lesson for us to learn we want pure faith, pure gold, like hope. And we want to be able to use that hope and live by it and see it change our lives is to radically change the reality through suffering that when we finally get to joy, the reason why we get to joy is because we've come to the conclusion, this is important, that it's not about us. It's not our resurrection, it's Jesus' resurrection. The reason why next Sunday as James brings a message on resurrection hope it's his resurrection that allows us to be resurrected. Not God is doing something for us to make us happy. We get to experience, we get to live what Jesus offers, which brings the joy, not in the suffering, but in the reality that the hope is not in us, but it's in Jesus. Does that make sense? It's a total change of perspective. And when we go through that, you know, I was just, we've been out to dinner and I really felt conflicted. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put my hope in this event that would make me happy for the moment. And not a bad thing. Love going out to dinner, love being with friends, and it's a great experience. And yet I felt this sense of awkward sadness, like my life's not complete, or I, I kind of was giving in to sadness for the moment. And then I realized 
in that moment that if I continue to try to put my confidence in just these little moments of goodness, these little moments of happiness in life, which are good things, which we all love, which we all enjoy. But if I put my ultimate confidence in that, it will ultimately lead to a sadness rather than to a joy, a joy that we find in the resurrection of Christ, recognizing that in suffering comes great joy because of what Christ has done. Because ultimately, when you get to the end, what we realize is that he actually took his own medicine, as Dorothy Sayers says. He took his own medicine. He, as we come now to communion, and I'm going to invite the worship team up, and we're going to close here this morning. We're going to get to experience this opportunity to be with the Lord in his suffering and the solidarity in the suffering. We can pass that out, and we can prepare our hearts. Let me say that um, Jesus binded himself to the human condition of suffering. He became who we are so that we could become who he is. And when he binded himself to human suffering, he understood the difficulty and hardship of it, but he also saw within it the reality that something good was coming out of it. And it's on the other side. As Eric said, it's on the other side. There is joy on the other side. And we will live with the, with the mixture of grief and joy until the other side, until the grief is removed, and it will be blue skies. And that's how we live by hope. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts for this moment to be in your presence and, and, and to join in solidarity with Jesus, your own suffering. And we know this week is a week of suffering, of betrayal, people turning their backs on you and you heading, you're heading to the cross, the cross no matter what. You're going to move forward. In spite of it all, you will head to the cross for us. We are remembering that in this moment together. As we even now prepare for this moment, it, it will be magnified throughout this week into Good Friday and the suffering the full extent of the suffering. May we align ourselves with that and change our perspective, Father, even in the midst of what we experience so that we understand that it's not about us, it's about you. May you be glorified in us. May we share in the sufferings even as we share in the joy and how hard that is for us to understand. May you give us eyes to see. May you give us a pure gold, pure gold faith and hope to live that out in Jesus' name. that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and uh, passed it to each of his disciples and said, this is my body given for you. So take now and eat.
And in a similar manner, he took the cup of wine and he gave it to each of his disciples and said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. The blood of the new covenant. Take and drink. doing this, we continue to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, and we drink and eat with him in new creation. Whenever you've finished communion, I want to invite you to stand with us as we finish in worship. Of 
that truth I don't even want to cheapen it by 
moving on from this moment with just mere words. So God, with hearts that are humble and hearts that are bowed down before you, we say thank you. We behold you and we honor. So as Todd said, may we not put hope in the good moments. We thank you for the good moments. But may we put our hope in you, Jesus, the resurrected Savior, who gives us life, who gives us freedom, who gives us hope. So will you prepare our hearts this week, God, to behold you and to honor you as we remember the sacrifice and the price that you paid. So we love you, we worship you, we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll see you next week for Easter. We'll be upstairs. We'll see you then. Bless you guys.